At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Welcome to the Hank Haney Podcast, a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome, everyone, to the Hank Haney Podcast, my first podcast on iHeartRadio, and I am so glad to be with you. It's great to be talking golf. My guest today, well, when I was thinking about who's my first guest going to be on the Hank Haney Podcast, I thought, well, that could only be one person, because I think of all the great things that have happened to me in the world of golf and in my life because of golf, and it's all because one day I happened to meet uh, the Hall of Famer, Mark O'Meara. Now, he wasn't a Hall of Famer when I, I met him, uh, but he is now. 2015, he was inducted into the World Golf Hall of Fame. And, uh, boy, he's got a, a lot of great stories to tell. I got a lot of great stories to tell uh, of our, our journey uh, that began in 1982 when I first met Mark O'Meara. And he is joining me now on the Hank Haney Podcast. All right, welcome to the Hank Haney Podcast today with uh, the Hall of Famer, uh, Mark O'Meara. I, you know, I thought when I'm going to do this uh, first podcast, I, there's only one person I could have on there, and that would be Mark O'Meara. M.O., thanks for uh, joining me this morning on the Hank Haney Podcast. Always great to talk to you, my friend. Uh, how does it feel to be introduced now as the Hall of Famer? Give me, give me a, little, a little thought on that. You know, Hank? First of all, congrats on the new the new gig. You know the podcast is going to be awesome. I look forward to listening to you all the time. Uh, you're a dear friend and and so well respected. Yeah, when when people introduce you on the first tee as a member of the World Golf Hall of Fame, what does that feel like? Uh, you know, I, it makes my hair stand up a little bit because I realize that I've been very blessed. Uh, it's been a it's been an amazing life. It's been a tremendous ride. You know, to have still Pete and play, I think next year will be my 40th year of playing professional golf around the world. And, uh, you know, I just I, I, I sit back and I can't believe that this has happened to me. Did you, you not something you ever dreamed of? 
No, I mean, I think when I first got started, you know, I, I, I got out there on the tour. I hadn't had any lessons, you know, yeah, I played good college golf and high school golf and was an all American and, you know, winning the California state amateur in 79, winning the U S amateur in 79. But relative to these young, talented players today, I, I was terrible. You know, I was not a very good golfer. I mean, I played the masters <laughs> as an amateur. I played the U S. Well, you won the U S amateur. I mean, I sucked. I was terrible. I, I, I shot eight. So, so an amateur, the, an amateur winning the U S amateur, uh, it, it will, oh, that's a long way from being a, a successful PGA Tour player. I mean, it's uh, light years from being a Hall of Fame golfer. No doubt about that. Yeah. Well, what, I, what, what, I, I mean, what, what's the, the, I mean, because people think that, hell, this guy's, a, you know, <laughs> you see people and they go, well, this guy's a scratch player. Why didn't you play the tour? I'm like, well, you're about like eight shots, not good enough, but, but, <laughs> and those are the hardest eight shots to get. Um, but, 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 just talk about that a little bit. I mean, uh, you know, the, the the big difference is when when you're an amateur. I mean, you you think you're pretty good. You win the U.S. Amateur, but then you get on tour and things are a little different, aren't they? Well, I, yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, you're taking it to a whole nother level. But that's what has really impressed me over the last three or four years, five years. The the amount of raw talent because back in in my day, and then the guys before me, the generation before me. It's like, you know, look, you, you, you were a good college player. Or you won the amateur. You had to get on the tour. You know, you didn't reach your prime until you were, you know, mid to late 20s into your mid 30s. That's when you were, you know, starting to win tournaments, contend for major championships. Well, today, I mean, th these young players, you know, they're, they're extremely talented. Um, they're, they're not intimidated. They are playing at such a high level at a very young age. That it really, to be fair, it blows my mind the way these 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 young players are are, are that talented. What do you what do you think it is? Junior golf, college golf. I mean, so a lot of them don't even play college golf, or they play for one year. I mean, but uh, what 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 do you think it is? Just uh, one shows the other that it can be done, and then they just do it. I mean, I, it's it's hard to imagine. I mean, you didn't even start playing until you're 13, right? Right. I mean, I I think what you see is it's like in all the sports. If you look at all the sports. Uh, technology, uh, teaching, uh, basically equipment, you know, it's, it's a combination of all these things, you know, certainly their physical training, but in all the sports, a lot of them, even, you know, NBA or the NFL, the, the ages of the athletes is, is getting much younger and, and performing at a very high level at a young age. Cause you think, gosh, you know, it takes a while to, to, to gain some experience and have the maturity level of a player to be able to go and, and win tournaments on the PGA tour. But we certainly see it happening right now. Yeah. Well, there's no, no doubt about it. I mean, and it's just, it seems like more and more, uh, you know, every, every year. Um, let's go back to, to, to when you, you started playing golf and, and, you know, you, you grew up in, in California, Mission Via Hill country club, um, used to sneak on the course there and that was your that was like your first golf was that your first golf experience why you, you, I, I remember you telling about you use your mom's clubs or something or what, what, what take me back to how you got started in golf I mean did you play other sports I mean what was the the, the how, what what got you into golf well what happened was I think the biggest thing is, is I was born in North Carolina as you pointed out and by the time I was 13 I'd lived in North Carolina Marietta Ohio Birmingham Michigan Long Island New York Dallas, Texas, oh Tustin, Tustin, California, Wheaton, Illinois, back to Mission Viejo, California, by the time I was 13. So when you get moved around so much, my dad was in the furniture business. 
getting transferred, new jobs. Uh, it's hard to make friends, you know, and, and for some reason, the second time when we came back to California in 1969, we moved above Mission Viejo Country Club, as you pointed out. And I don't know why I did it. I, my mom's clubs were in the garage and I just took my mom's clubs and I went down to the course and started hitting balls. It wasn't like my parents signed me up for lessons and take my dad, take me down there. You know, I basically did it on my own. And, and to be fair, like I said, at the World Golf Hall of Fame ceremony, I mean, it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me because golf became my friend. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Mr. Vio Country Club, you, you ended up working there, picking the range, uh, washing cars. Is that where you got your affinity for washing cars? I mean, what is what, where'd, that, where'd that start? Yeah, you know, I think a lot of it inherited from my mom, too. Uh, a little bit of a clean freak. That's what I would be. I classify myself as a clean freak. I'm a total light freak. You know, like you got to turn your lights off. Like my, 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 my mom was always yelling at me, Mark, okay. Mark, turn off your lights, turn off. You can't, if you leave yeah, the electricity. room, electricity, right. right. Yeah, what so is that? I, what I do always, you think that, what do you think that saves in a, in a week or a year? <laughs> probably, probably not very much. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm a light, I'm a light, I'm going to turn off the light guy too. I'm going to turn off the light guy too. And I, and I learned that the, the uh, car washing from you, you do have a distinction with the car washing. I mean, I think uh, without a doubt, you are the only well, I don't know this for sure, but I'm going to guess. Okay, you are the only PGA Tour professional ever who has taken a courtesy car through the car wash. Yes, this is true. Times. Is not many, many times. times, many, many well, times. I only knew it. I only knew of one at the TPC, but but there's many times, huh? Well, let me tell you what, a couple things. Number first of all, I always believe that a clean car, a clean car, will make you hit clean shots. Okay, <laughs> okay. So, all right. If I'm like driving it. into the golf course and my car is clean, I'm going to play better golf. That's just the way I felt. So you, car, you, so if that, that courtesy car gets a little dirty, you're through the car wash. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And then there was one year I was playing, I was playing Sawgrass TPC, and I, I was at that time I was living in in Florida, and I drove my whatever I was driving. I can't remember at the time, but I was I, I got the car washed, and then I was waxing it out in the parking lot at the Marriott courtyard and guys were playing the tournament. They came out and they saw me waxing my car in the parking lot at a hotel. And they were like, <laughs> what in the heck are you doing? I'm like, well, this is what's it look like I'm doing. I'm waxing my car. <laughs> probably with a little new finish too. Probably right there. That's your, that's your, your brand. You like that. You like that, that, that new finish. That's my go-to. I mean, there's no question about it. All right. Let's go back to, uh, Let's go. Let's go back to when 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 we we met in Pinehurst. Um, we met in Pinehurst in 1982. You were there for the Hall of Fame uh, tournament. I mean, this was a you know a, a, this was a big changing point in my life too. I mean, I, I tell people. I mean, there's uh, there's been so many things that have happened to me uh, because of the game of golf. It's been just absolutely incredible, and none of them happen if I don't meet Mark O'Meara on the driving range at Pinehurst and and. Uh, our, our, our friend Ken Crow and I were uh, colleagues. We worked together there at Pinehurst. And he comes into the teaching center and he says, uh, will you come out on the drive range and watch somebody? And, I'm, and, and honestly, I, you know, I'm, this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, ah, you know, geez, what, 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 it's Friday afternoon. This is one, you know, I mean, I mean I'll, I'll watch anybody. But, I mean, it's like I thought this is one of, you know, he wants me to watch one of his club pro buddies 
um, you know, that miss a cut and, you know, it, you know, it's been kind of been a long day. Can't we watch the club pro buddy next week or something? And, and anyway, he drags me out there and, uh, and you know, it's Mark O'Meara and, uh, you know, clearly the luckiest day of my life. Um, so I, I, I meet, uh, I meet Mark O'Meara, uh, former U S open champion, you know, whether or not you realize it, I mean, even at the time, I mean, you were a big name in golf. I mean, you won the, the you know, rookie of the year, uh, the year before you were struggling this year, though, in the 1982. And uh, I meet meet you and, and you, you know, you ask for some some help. I mean, you, you ask, you ask, <laughs> hey, get get the whole staff out there. Right. That was right. The, the story. And, and uh, you know, but he, he brought me out there. Now, what what prompted you at that time? Like you'd never had lessons, right? Well, I mean, what prompted you at that time that you thought all of a sudden, maybe, maybe I need some help here? Well, I think because I had no clue, right? I, and I told you, <laughs> I said, I said, to, I said, to how you, does I somebody said, have no clue that that wins a U.S. Amateur and is rookie I, year I'm on the PGA Tour? You, I had, I had no clue. I mean, prior to even talking with you, I had sat down and written a letter to Ben Hogan because I turned pro in his office in the fall of '80, and I'd written Mr. Hogan a letter asking him for help, and he actually. He responded. I mean, he called me. I called him. I talked to him on the phone, and uh, I never got to go see him before I met you. What did he but, What did he say to you when he when he in the, in the letter? What, what did he say? So I wrote him the letter, and then uh, he called the house. I was over at the British Open, and uh, he told my wife to have me call him when I got back stateside, which I did. I called him from a payphone at Anheuser Busch in Kingsmill, uh, Virginia. And Mr. Hogan got on the phone, and he, you know, the first thing he says, Mark, I got your letter. It was very nice. He goes, but let's make something. Straight. He goes, I don't teach. And I said, I know, Mr. Hogan, but, you know, I've turned pro in your office. I respect you tremendously. I represent you. And I didn't know who to turn to. So I figured I'd turn to you. And he goes, well, you know, I, once again, I don't teach, Mark. I, I, I wouldn't want to hurt anybody's game. I, I don't, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then he, the phone went quiet for a second, Hank. And then all of a sudden he goes, so you know, when do you think you could come down here? And I said, sir. And he goes, well, maybe I would watch you hit some balls. I might say something. I may not say anything. Uh, you know, and he kind of went around and I said, well, sir, I'm just trying to stay on the tour to keep my card. So, you know, I don't know, but maybe someday I'll be able to come and watch you. You watch me hit balls. And so it never really came to fruition um, of me going to take a lesson from Mr. Hogan until years later when, when I, after I'd worked with you for, three years and started winning on the tour and this and that. Then I, I did get to have Mr. Hogan watch me hit balls. I, I've talked about it before. Um, I'd won a tournament in Japan and I was coming to play colonial the next week. And Mr. Hogan wanted me to come over to shady Oaks and have him watch me hit balls. And so I come over and I'm out there and Chris Cheddar's out there. Yeah, Chris Cheddar, a friend of ours, Chris played the LPJ tour and good friend of Mr. Hogan's. Chris is a great gal, a uh, good friend of ours. She was with the, with him, huh? Super. I mean, she was about as close to Mr. Hogan as anybody. Yeah. So Chris Chatter and myself go out there to the back of the range. We're hitting balls. Mr. Hogan drives out in the cart with a guy named Erwin Jacobs, who owned a company called Minstar out of Minneapolis. And he had just bought the AMF company. So he owned the Hogan company. And Mr. Hogan came out. He sat in the cart. I'm hitting these five irons. I just won in Japan the week before. So I'm feeling pretty confident about myself. And I'm, I'm hitting these five irons about 180, 85 yards at this yellow flag. And Hogan gets out of the cart grabs onto one of my clubs. He stands behind me, watches me hit like five balls. He doesn't say a word. I finally look at him. I said, Mr. Hogan, what do you think? And he goes, keep hitting. I'm like, okay. 
So, you know, you do whatever Mr. Hogan says. He comes and watches me side on for two balls straight across from me. Then he goes back behind me. He still has not said one word. I've hit about eight or ten shots. And and to be fair, Hank, in my opinion, I was hitting them really well. So I'm I'm really pleased that I'm hitting them well in front of, you know, a legend, one of the ball strikers, you know, a legend to you, a legend to me. And finally, I look back, I got the gall to ask him again. I said, so Mr. Hogan, you know, what do you think? And he took a drag on his cigarette. As he exhaled, he goes, awful. (laughs) (laughs) And you thought you were hitting him great. I was hitting it great. It was awful. I'm like, oh my. And so I don't know what to say. So I finally, I I come with, I look at him. I said, thank you, sir. That is, that bodes me well for so much confidence for this week here at Colonial. And he looked at me and he goes, Mark. And I said, sir, he goes, what are you doing? I said, sir, I, I, I don't, I'm thinking to myself, I'm almost hit pin with this five iron every time. I don't know what I'm doing. I, I think I'm doing all right. And he goes, where are you going? He goes, where are you going? I'm like, sir, I don't understand. He goes, it's an easy question. Where are you going? I said, sir, I did get my degree at Long Beach State in business administration, but where am I going? I, I, <laughs> I don't know where I'm going. He goes, well, and he points out towards the flag. He goes, you're going that way, right? And I said, yes, sir, I, I'm, I am going that way. He goes, well, why do you go? And he pointed backwards. He goes, why do you got to go backwards to go forwards? And I said, well, I guess you don't have to do that. And he goes, let me show you something. And he got me set up. And basically, um, you know, who took a lot of lessons from him and was a big fan of, of Ben Hogan was a, a pro named John Schley. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was another, another great ball striker. And so he set me up and almost like a, a starting block, like a racer and that's running the hundred meters or something. And he got me like totally like stationary, uh, on with my lower body. And he, he said, I want you to hit one and don't move your lower body at all. Just stay right there. So not, it kind of would feel stack and tilt, but it was, it was kind of like, just don't, don't move your lower body. And so I hit like three balls and I basically shanked them to the right. And he goes, now that's way better. Just do that. And he got in a golf cart and he drove. <laughs> and I looked at I looked at Chris Cheddar, Hank, and I said to her, I'm like, are you kidding me? That was my lesson from Ben Hogan. I said, I'm not gonna do that shit. I'm done. I'm done. I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> oh my God. That's so good. The uh you know, you meet Mr. Hogan, and then of course at some point you relayed to him that uh you had worked with me. Uh this yeah, and and um you know, that, that led to that, honestly, that led to one of the greatest moments in my career as, as well, because I was down in Houston teaching at Sweetwater Country Club. And of course that was the former home of the LPJ. I was the first director of golf there. And, uh, I, I was teaching down there one day and this fellow came down and he was from Fort Worth. And I asked him, I said, you know, and I, of course I got a lot of people, uh, you know, because I taught Mark O'Meara, a lot of people would, and you, you got, you, you know, you like to talk. So, I mean, you, oh, yeah. would, you would tell everybody that I, I, I helped you. And I, oh, you know, yeah. of course I was very thankful oh, yeah. for that. But, um, but this guy comes down and he, he, you know, takes a lesson. I said, how did you know to come down here for a lesson? He said, well, I've got a, a friend at the, the course that I play at in Fort Worth. And uh, he told me that there's somebody in Houston that really knows something about golf. And I said, what's your course? And he says, it's, it's Shady Oaks. I said, well, who's your friend? He said, Ben Hogan. 
And I mean, I bought like crap myself right there. You know, I mean, like, I mean, I've got like, you know, Ben Hogan just uh, sent me sent me a golf lesson. Oh my goodness! I mean, uh, you know, this is, that was uh, that was pretty pretty good stuff for for me for sure. So so we we started working at Pinehurst, nineteen eighty two. Um, you know, this is interesting doing this podcast because I get to ask you all these questions. But uh, you know, I mean. I remember all the days standing out there in the driving range. We, you know, we started off. I always tell this story. We started off. I'm standing back there watching. I'm trying to, you know, like I do. I'm, I'm coming up with a plan. I kind of did what what you described with Ben Hogan. I stood back there for a while, and um, I, I was kind of getting in my mind what I what I was going to say, what you needed to do. And you look back and you said, uh, "Are you ever going to say anything?" And uh, I, I said, "I'm." I'm you know, figuring out what your plan needs to be. Why don't we go down? We'll, you know, sit down in the clubhouse. We'll, we'll, you know, have a, have a diet Coke. We'll talk about it. And your response was, is that, uh, listen, just start telling me something. Cause I, I don't, I don't have any time for that because I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lose my card. I'm going to be off the tour. There was like four tournaments to go in the year. I'll never forget. You're 124th on the money list on the PGA tour, top 125, keep their card. And um, you didn't you didn't want to go sit down and talk about it. You just wanted me to tell you something. But we 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 talked about it, and then uh, you know that day, and then that weekend, we started working. And I have to say, I mean, you know, people talk about how hard people practice, um, but there nobody, you know, I mean, maybe VJ. I mean, he's a hard practicer for sure through his career. But but I've I've not seen anyone that practices harder than Mark O'Meara for sure. Well, you know, it's funny. Hank, because I, I felt like uh, it was interesting from the standpoint uh, when somebody is struggling and you help so many different people, all different levels of golfers, everybody's always in for the quick fix. And, yeah. and certainly so was I. And then all of a sudden somebody says, look, you know, let me explain to you what you're doing and why you're seeing the results you're seeing. Okay. And then I'll explain to you a way I think you should swing the golf club. And why I believe you'll find better results. And the first thing I said to you, I said, well, that, that makes total sense, but Hank, but how long do you think this will take to change? And you said, you know, Mark, I don't know. It could take, uh, three months, six months, a year, two years. All I know is that if you do what I think you need to do, you'll become a better player. And that's all it took for me to sell me on the fact that. I needed to become a Hank Haney student and listen to what Hank was saying. And, you know, it changed my life. I mean, I, I, I might've been off the tour another six months if I hadn't, you know, met you and worked on the things that we've worked on. And I tell people all the time, I said, look, you know, I, and I remember when I, I told Tiger about coming to see you, I said to Tiger, I said, look, there's a lot of great teachers out there. And especially even today, I mean, with, video cameras and track man and this man and that man. I mean, but, but, but the bottom line is everybody's a different individual, right? And everybody has different tendencies, uh, good and bad. And, and I said that, that in my opinion, um, as you, as an instructor, not only as my friend and as my instructor that made me the world-class player that I luckily became and a hall of famer, but I tell everybody, I said, Hank Haney knew more about ball flight than anybody else, not just the swing, but understanding what the ball was doing and then bringing it back to what the player needed to do to create the right ball flight, which if you can do that, as you and I both have always said, yeah, yeah, you, know, yeah, yeah. you can control your ball flight, you control your distance, you're always around pin high, you're going to be a better player. 
period. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, and the one thing you've always uh, talked about and, and you know, it, it was well controlling your trajectory, hitting you know, a, 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 one of the big tips you all, you always told Tiger and, and what was so true, you have to be able to hit the ball pin high. I mean, that was a, a big, big piece of advice that you gave him. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I believe that I, I, and there's like, I tell juniors, I tell everybody now, I said, look, if I was going to give you a couple pieces of advice, I'd say that number one, learn to hit the ball pin high. It doesn't matter whether you're, you know, Brooks Kepka or Dustin Johnson, or if you're a, a, a young junior player or a female player, it doesn't matter whether you hit your eight iron, 110 yards, you hit your eight iron, 185 yards or 200 yards. You need to learn to hit those clubs the correct distance, time in and time out. And if you can do that and be always around pin high, you're going to play well. And then the second thing is you've got to learn to have good speed on the greens because if you have good speed on the yeah. greens, which you taught me, you're yeah. going to eliminate three putts and you're going to make more putts. And that's yeah. huge in the game. Yeah, 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 yeah. What, what, what was your big... What was the big motivator for you? I mean, everybody's, you know, motivated by some. Of course, this was your job. And, and uh, you know, you go back. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, but we are old. I mean, uh, oh, yeah. you and I together. I mean, it's like because you go back to 1982, you know, and I, I was researching all this this stuff back then, but I, I pretty much had it in my memory. Um, you made like three out of the last four cuts that year. And, you you know, after we started working, you kept your card. You made $34,000 that year. Yeah. I mean, you're making these cuts and making, you know, like $800 or $1,000 and it's enough to, to, to keep your card. I mean, obviously, you know, it's, it's a, you feel like you're listening to your parents talk about you, how it was uh, five cents to go to the movie back in the day. But, you know, here we are now, you know, you made $34,000 that, that year. But what was, what you know, the, the big uh, motivation for, for you? I mean, th- this was your job. Uh, you wanted to, you know, I mean, just what, 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 what pushed you so hard? Well, I think there's a couple of things. I, I, I think that number one, um, uncertainty, you know, mm. uncertainty of the future, fear, you know, fear is a great motivator. I know that everybody yeah. wants to not admit that they're nervous, but I think the uncertainty of, of the future, you know, drove me and, and wanted to, to, to keep trying to make a living. And, and, you know, look, if, if you play well, then you're going to, you know, make more money. If you make more money, then you can have a better lifestyle you know, hopefully for your, your wife and for your children, um, you know, like anybody who wants to be successful, if you want to be successful at whatever it is that you do, I mean, you've got to put the time and effort in. I mean, and that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be rewarded, but deep down inside, if you're committed enough that whatever it is that you want to achieve in your life, you've got to be able to outwork everybody else. It's just plain and simple. Nobody needs to give it to you. You got to earn it. And then that way you'll respect it more and you'll become better at it in the future. And uh, and you did that, no doubt about it. I mean, we, were, we would practice at Pinehurst. I mean, I, I, you know, of course, I mean, I was a young teaching pro. You were a young, you know, touring pro. And, you know, I think back, and I, well, even even when it was happening, I thought, man, I cannot believe this guy's dedication. I mean, he's, because, I mean, Pinehurst is a hard place to get to. I mean, it's, you know, it's a beautiful place. I mean, we, we all, you know, love it. I mean, it's, 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 you know, incredible. But you gotta, you gotta fly somewhere. Well, you gotta fly to Raleigh. And then you got to drive in like an hour and a half at least uh, to get to, to get to Pinehurst, you know, back in the day. And, uh, you know, Raleigh's not easy to get to. I mean, let, let's face it. I mean, it's not like it's not like it's a major hub. Not every single flight. So, so, you know, sometimes it's like two flights to get to Raleigh. 
and and you know you would would practice and and you know I was in Pinehurst and I mean you know I'd come out to the desert in the in the winter and practice with you in in, in Palm Desert but 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 the you know tour season you're you're missing a cut and and you know you'll call me up on a Friday afternoon you know I can remember it like it was yesterday you know hey I'm I'm coming in and you know all right when are you going to be here and and then we'd practice all uh you know, weekend, and then you'd be off to, to the tour, you know, on Monday to, to go play, you know, practice round and, and try again. I mean, you just, the, the dedication that that took, I mean, you know, nowadays you think, you know, these guys are, you know, their teachers are all with them, their coaches are with them, or, you know, they're flying their private planes into wherever they're going to see somebody. It's a little, it's a little different ball game back then. Yeah, no, it is. I remember, I remember one, especially one, I was playing at Westchester, the Westchester Classic up in New York. And I think I shot 79 the first round, you know, I was hitting it all over the place. And as soon as I got off the court, I went straight in, I, you know, I'd signed my card, I'd posted my score. But as soon as I got off the course, I had my phone, I called you right away. And I said, Hank, you know, I shot 79. I'm not making the cut. There's no way I'm going to, I don't care. I, I just need to get on a plane tonight. Can I come and see it? And so I'd get on a plane Thursday night and land in Raleigh, like you said, and get down to your place by midnight and, you know, we'd be up first thing Friday morning and we'd be out there all day, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And then I'd head out Monday night to the next tournament site. And hopefully I'd, I'd play a little bit better. And if I didn't, boom, I was on a plane straight back to Raleigh again. So, you know, I, I think you're right. And I tell people, look, to be around some of the greatest players that play with the greatest players, which I did, uh, and witness what they were able to accomplish you know, the, like you said, there's there's no denying that if you put the effort out there, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get the instant reward. But the gratification that you 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 get from putting in the effort uh, just gives you a little bit more of an edge down the line. It'll pay off. It may not pay off right away, but eventually, you know, it will pay off. That's a, a great lesson for for sure. Uh, and uh, I tell you what, you're full of them, Mo. So it's uh, it's it's great to have you on the show. We're gonna take a little break, uh, hear from our sponsors, and we'll be right back on the Hank Haney podcast with Mark O'Meara. At Bed Three Six Five, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring bit. out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it would have been Ooh, a, been the podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. 
More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, back with Mark O'Meara here on the Hank Haney Podcast. And, uh, Mark, we're going to take a, a, a stroll through your, your trophy case. You're in Park City, Utah. you got a beautiful home there. Uh, and you just uh, built a uh, – well, you built a couple of things. You built a new celebrity green in your backyard. That thing is, is, is sweet. Um, you know what? You know what, Hank? It's amazing. It's not sweet. It's amazing. <laughs> it really is. Weston Weber and his yeah. team, as you yeah. know them. Oh, yeah. They are the best. They, there's not even a question that they're the best. They are beyond no, yeah. the best. The effort yeah. and the way it looks, I've got a sod face bunker out there. Look, St. Andrews. And, you know, it's it's incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and uh, so Weston, uh, you know, brings his Celebrity Greens team in there. And he's uh, he's sending me pictures and videos. And, uh, you know, of course, uh, and I had Weston on the other, you know, we did a little podcast together too. And I asked him, I said, I said, okay, who's the, who's the best worker? Like you've, you've, you've installed like all these different celebrity greens for celebrities, touring professionals. I mean, he's, he's installed like 200 greens for, you know, pros and stuff. I mean, it's like, you know, he is the best. And, and, um, so I said, who's the hardest worker that you've, uh, installed the green for? Uh, you know, who got in there and, and worked the hardest? And he said, wow, that would have to be Mark O'Meara. Who's the best helper? I would have to give it to Mark, number one, Mark O'Meara. You, <laughs> you, uh, but he's, you were on the roller or what were you on there? I was everything. I was sweeping, rolling. I was cooking. I cooked for the whole crew I asked him about that, too. I said, oh. who's the best cook? He said, Mark O'Meara. Who is the best cook? I would say Mark O'Meara, too. Mark O'Meara cooked for our guys every day. He cooked like brats one day, burgers, um, and he cooked some kind of bean thing in a bowl. I can't, I can't remember. He was making up stuff, and it was, it was fantastic. You know, and the guys appreciated it. These guys, his team has never had meals like they had. I had it going on. I had burgers one day. I had brats and chili and corn chips and cheese one day. 
I had meatball sandwiches. So let, let me get this straight. Let me get this straight. You hire a company to come in and build a putting green for you in your backyard. Yep. Okay. You hire them. Yep. I mean, and you're out there cooking for the whole crew. Yes. All 16 of mm-hmm. them. I yeah, said, yeah. I told him, I said, that's Marco Mara right there. Yeah. You know what? I look at it this way. I, I appreciate watching good quality workers. And if I can make their day better and show them that I appreciate their hard effort and their hard work, uh, they'll do a better job. They'll even do a better job. Yeah. It's not, it doesn't take a scientist to figure that out. All right. So, so, uh, I hear a few dogs barking in the background. What, look at me. What is that? The, uh, you got the, the labs are they're running around back there a little bit. I do. I have, uh, I have two labs. I have a brother and a sister from the okay. same litter. And, uh, we got them in Plano, Texas about four and a half years ago. They'll be five years old this coming January. And their names are the boy's name is Crosby. Uh, needless to say, after the Bing Crosby win in 85 at Pebble Beach, the female, my little girl over here, her name is George, after the Masters. We're kind of like the Hank Haney family. We're thinking about getting a third one. I'm thinking we get like a black lab, a black female lab, and we maybe, uh, we name her Burkdale. Jeez, <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. I like it. You know? I like it. Royal Burkdale, <laughs> the Open Championship. You got well. You, you kind of need to fill in that gap, don't you? Um, you know. Let me tell you about the. Here's how the thing about the dogs. Okay, uh, we, we have three dogs. Um, so you think, okay, there's not a big difference between two and three. What difference, you know, this make? Well, here's the here's the thing. Uh, number three can get number one and two barking. Okay, so you just it's just one more to get things going. But you know, hey, it, I, I do like to have a whole litter. So I mean, it, I, I, and it, you know, you love you love your dog. So I mean, you'll you'll love having a third one too. And w- once you start thinking about it, that probably means you're already you've already been checking it out. So you probably got to figure out where you're going and everything else. You are a purchaser. Yeah, yeah, that's that's why I have to keep playing golf. So that is yeah. one of the other motivating uh, factors in and playing good professional golf. Because if you play good professional golf, then you can reward yourself with uh, some goodies on the side. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, no doubt about it. All right, back to, to the speed of the green, to the speed of the green, back to the speed of the green. What, uh, the, what, what speed do you, you got your celebrity green in your backyard, what, what, what speed do you want that dialed in at? Just tour speed or what? Oh, no, no, faster. I want it at 13. Why do you want that? Why do you want it faster than tour speed? So that way when I have people come over, which doesn't happen very often, I can brag about how fast the green is, and then I can explain to them, this is fairly similar to what Augusta National Ah, okay, okay, good, I got it, all right, I didn't, yeah, so that's what you, you, you wanted Augusta speed. I think so, I mean, but then when I go out and play in the Champions Tour, uh, like the last few weeks, Mitch, my caddy, Mitch Windsor, who's a great young man, Aussie kid, Mitch was like, oh, now you're going to be leaving your putts short because you're putting on those greens at home. Your green is so fast. And I said, no, no, don't worry. But I, I will say this. Having my celebrity green in my backyard has improved my putting. Really? Yeah. Well, it's supposed to. It's supposed to. You think it's easier to go from, uh, I mean, fast greens to slow greens or slow greens to fast greens? I think fast greens to slow greens is okay. I mean, because – you know, to me, like having a fast green, it kind of smooths out your stroke a little bit. So, yeah, if the greens aren't that slow out there on the tour, whether the PGA Tour or the Champions Tour, um, 
you know, but you just lengthen your stroke. You don't have to put any more hit in there. You just make your stroke a little bit bigger. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've always been uh, a great putter. It's this is leading me down a, a little path here. Yeah. Let's uh, let's just point out. There's no question that I, I never was a great ball striker, but I was a very good putter and I was a good short iron player throughout my career. I was never a great driver of the ball, but now. Uh, we need to let people know that, and even in 98, when you were with me and I won the Masters, I had a little bit of an issue with my right hand on my putter. You recall that, right? I do recall after the, the, the first round at, at Augusta, and um, you were not pleased. You were not pleased. <laughs> um, <laughs> not at all. Uh, do you want me to tell that story? Or, you know, Please? I mean, it's like, I, well, I mean, it's like, I can't stand this place. I never play good here. I can't putt. Uh, how can you win a Masters? I'm yipping him on the 10th green. How can you win a Masters when you can't make it from three feet? Uh, and I'm like, Mark, Mark, it was a tough day. I mean, you know, of course, everybody's like, you know, the, the you know, the, your, fr- your friends, your wife, your, your, your caddy, the your agent, you know, everybody's like, Hank, you go talk to him. You know, of course, I'm the one that, you know, is always assigned to go talk to you. And, uh, you know, that was my job. So, you know, I'm like, M.O., I mean, come on, bud. I mean, it's just a tough day out there today. I mean, you're all right. You know, you're, well, you're a couple over par and you, you know, you're, 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 you're all right. I mean, all right. I mean, did you see me out there? I mean, did you see how I was putting? I mean, how, how, could, how can you think you're going to win a Masters when you're, you're, you're putting like this? Well, I mean, uh, I said, well, let me just take a look at your stroke and, and you know, see, see what's going on. And, and you know, I, I, I made a, a little uh, suggestion, probably gave you a little candy uh, candy pill, you know. No, and, I remember uh, exactly what you said. Okay, what Here's was what it? Here's what you said. Here's what you said. Okay. Let's go over to the putting green. So we went over to the putting green yeah. at Augusta National. And he goes, M.O.? He goes, this is what it looks like. It looks to me like your putter is, uh, is, is, is your eyes are pointing too far to the yeah. right and your putter yeah, is too far that. to the left. Okay. So I said, yeah. oh, well, what, so what do you want me to do, Hank? He goes, what I want you to do is tilt your eyes more to the left and open your putter face up. And I looked okay. at you and I said, are you kidding me? I didn't say it just like that. I used a profanic. <laughs> yeah, there was an F bomb in there. There was somewhere. an F bomb in there. And I said, are you kidding me? Do you, do you have that, any understanding how fast these greens are? They're running almost 14 out here. And let me get this straight. You want me to tilt my eyes to the left, open my putter blade up, and go out and go with that out here at Augusta National? Yeah. Are you freaking kidding me, Hank? And what and did you I go, say? You said, yeah, that's exactly what I want you to do. And so we practiced for about an hour. And then the next day I got there, I still felt uncomfortable and I did what my instructor told me to do. I tried to tilt my head more to the left. I tried to open my putter blade up. I, I, I guess I must've putted better. I didn't feel better. I don't think I really putted that much better, but I, I shot 70 and I made the cut. So that was, that was good. And then our game plan was, okay, you know, let's just stay good enough on the weekend to maybe make the top 24. You know, we mm. went out there on Saturday and, and shot 68, four under. It was a windy day. The top 24 used to, used to, was that invited back next year? Was yeah. that the way it used to be? Yeah. Not, not now. It's, it's what top, uh, 12, maybe top 12. Yeah. yeah maybe. Something yeah. Like that. Okay. And so yeah. we, uh, went out there on Saturday. It was windy. It was tough again. And I shot 68, a four under. Yeah. And then lo and behold, I'm now going to be paired in the last group on Sunday with Fred Couples. Which was a good pairing for you because you and Fred are good friends. You've been friends for a long time. He's, you know, there's not 
probably, I mean, I mean, you're one of them, but there's not a lot of guys that are easier to play with than Fred Couples, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. You know, Fred, Fred is, is, uh, an immense talent. He, uh, comes across as, you know, kick back Fred, don't care Fred. Dr- trust me, deep down, he cares very, yeah. very much so. Yeah. Uh, and luckily I got out there and I, I, you know, I didn't feel comfortable. I mean, I'm nervous, but he's nervous. But, you know, and Fred had won the Masters in 91, I believe it was, 91 or 92. And, you know, so he's already a Masters champion. And, and then, uh, you know, we got off to a good start on Sunday, made some putts, and bombed a long one on the fourth hole of the par three where I was just trying to two-putt and made it from about 65, 70 feet, which was incredible. You know, and then it came down to the last few holes. You know, birdie in three of the last four holes to stand on the 18th green with an 18-footer in the final group. Uh, as we all watch as, as not only players, but I'm, I'm a fan too, right? So I, I've always wondered how anybody could make a putt on the 18th green at Augusta National to win the Masters. And then, you know, that's that April of 1998, there where I was uh, with that putt. And somehow, some way it went in. And what's interesting is, as you and I both know, but maybe a lot of your listeners don't know, is that, you know, I, I tell everybody, look, I, I did not feel comfortable over my putter that whole week. Even though I hit a good putt and it, and it went in on 18 and I was more in shock and disbelief as to what the hell just happened. And then I realized I'd won the Masters and, you know, Tiger Woods put the green jacket on me and everybody knows about all that and our relationship. But what was even crazier is to realize that, and you're a stat man, you, look, you know this stuff. I actually had the fewest amount of putts in the Masters that week. And I never really that comfortable on the greens well that way you know and then that you know that's one of the things that's a little misleading about the statistic at augusta because you know and and on the pga tour in general when you measure um amount of putts because what what happens is at augusta because as you well know i mean the greens are are so fast and they're so sloped. I mean, they're just there's such a, a small part of the green that you can actually hit. So you hit the ball on the greens. I remember. I think the you know the, the one the last round or, or something. You know, somebody said Mark hit like eight greens. I'm like his his ball landed on 16 greens, and he, he you know and he hit putter from off the green. You know this this many times. So so you you have. You know, you you putt from a foot off the green or an inch off the green, or you know, and 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 that counts as as a chip shot, but it's really really a putt. So it's a little it's a little misleading. But obviously, when you win a tournament, you have to make putts. And I always you know tell people, I said you know to win major championships, especially at Augusta, you're generally going to have to make putts on two out of the last three holes. I mean, you're just gonna you're, you're gonna have to. I mean, you're not gonna you're not gonna skate through sixteen, seventeen, and eighteen not having to grind over a putt. And you, you and you you made those those putts and and you've made them you know throughout your career. I mean, it's just uh, you know I, I I I've told you this statistic that I I saw and and researched. And that it, it, you know, when you were were playing, you know, the 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 PGA Tour, uh, you looked at players' closing, you know, percentage, their ability to close the deal when they when they got there, and it was like, you know, the the best percentages were were like Jack Nicklaus and Ben Hogan and like Tiger Woods and Mark O'Meara. I mean, like you were like like third or or fourth. Uh, when you had the lead, you know, I always look at, you know, had the lead or, or tied for the lead, 
uh, on you know Sunday with a chance to win, and you know nobody does it all the time. I mean, you have some that 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 get away. I mean, you 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 lost some some playoffs in your career, um, but you you know you, of course you won the big playoff, the the Open Championship. But the ability to to make that last putt. I mean, what 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 do you think it is? Uh, I think it's just uh, you know, like I said, I mean, for for for, for listeners. You know, to understand that once again, every player, myself included, I don't care if it's Tiger Woods, Jack Nicholas, Phil Mickelson, Rory McElroy, Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson, everybody's nervous. So I think it's more about, you know, your preparation and being there and understanding the moment. I, I don't think you can get caught up in the moment. You can't be on that putt on the 18th green thinking, you know, I make this, this is what's going to happen. Because you know what? You haven't made it yet, right? So you yeah. can't get ahead of yourself. You can't get behind yourself. But I do believe you got to understand that sometimes you control, you know, your own destiny. So you're the one that has to say, look, this is what I practice for. This is what I live for. It's not like if I make this putt, I make this amount of money. Or if I miss this putt, this is how much this is going to cost me. Look, nobody's going in anybody's bank account when they miss a putt on the 18th green and taking money out. You know, you never had that money in the first place. So I just look at it as just a, one of the opportunities you have to keep moving forward and that's that was the attitude i had on my putts so when you have some success that kind of builds on itself and i think that you can use that as a motivating factor in other words when you're coming down the stretch and you're trying to win and let's say it's a course that you've had previous success at and watch tiger woods do this at like bay hill or at tory pines or wherever it is or myself at pebble beach you know when they're coming down the stretch it's so easy for them to, to, to remind themselves that they've done it before. And maybe yeah. the guys they're playing with haven't, you know, so that doesn't give you the right that you're going to do it, but it gives you a way better advantage that you can pull it off just from the fact that, you know, you know that you've done it before. Okay. So you'd done it in, 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 uh, you know, regular tour events, but you hadn't done it in major championships. You hadn't done it in the biggest major championship at, at Augusta. Uh, what did you tell yourself on, on the 18th hall at Augusta when you, you won the, the masters made that last pot in 1998? Well, I think what helped me the most early in the week, cause you were there with me. I think I got to the point in my career where I had I realized that, you know what, maybe it wasn't in the cards for me to win a major championship. You were 40, 41 years old, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. I was 41. And so maybe it's not in the cards. So I think what happened was because maybe I lowered my expectations, it gave me room to break through. Maybe the same thing happened to Sergio too. You know, when he won at Augusta, it yeah. might be the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, cause look, he's got the talent and the ability and had so many opportunities to get it done and he hadn't got it done. And then all of a sudden, Maybe when everybody, maybe he couldn't do it. Maybe even himself, he did it. Uh, but for me, on the 18th green, I remember my self-talk was this. I'll never forget it as long as I live. I, I never once thought that if I made that putt or I was going to make this putt, I was going to get the green jacket. I was going to be a master's champ, blah, 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 blah. I didn't say that to myself. What I said to myself is I was putting my ball down and lining it up. First of all, we walked onto the green and I said, you know, Fred Couples is in the bunker. We're tied for lead. He's going to hold his bunker shot for birdie. I'm going to have to make this putt to tie Fred. That's what you were thinking. That's exactly what I said to myself. And wow. he, hit it, he hit it about four feet below the hole. And so now I put my ball down. And as I'm walking around, lining it up, I said to myself, you know, Emma, this is what you play for. Sooner or later, you're going to have to make a putt. Whether you make this putt 
or you make a putt on 10 or 11 or wherever the playoff goes to. But the thing is, is the longer it goes on, whether it's a three-footer or an 18-footer like this one here, the longer it goes on, the more the odds go out of your So you might as well do your best and put the best stroke you can on this one here. That was my self-talk. And as I got over it, I made a couple practice strokes. And when I hit my putt, it was about two feet off the putter. I knew I'd hit a good putt. I had absolutely no idea what the outcome was going to be, but I knew I'd hit a good putt. And as I watched and the people rose on the other side of the green and stood up and everybody stood up around the 18th green and I'm watching and they're watching and the ball's tracking towards the hole. I'm thinking to myself, it got about a foot and a half from the hole and I realized, oh my God, it's going to go in. And then it started breaking to the left. And my last thought was, please don't lip out. And it hit the left side of the hole, dove in the hole. My arms and hands went up in the air with my putter. And my expression on my face was, like I said earlier, Hank, was more shock and disbelief as to what the hell just happened. And then I realized <laughs> I was the master's champ. And, and you go from, and in, in, in that moment, you go from, uh, this place is so hard, this uh, course drives me crazy, uh, to uh, <laughs> this, is, this is the greatest. And, <laughs> and it, it definitely is in golf. There's no doubt about that. Is that correct? Uh, you know, I, look, I, there's four major championships. Yeah. Okay? That's what golf's all about. You've talked about it all your life. You've talked about it on your radio shows. I mean, look, there, there's the Masters, there's the U.S. Open, there's the Open Championship, and there's the PGA. That's yeah, but players, if you could win one, if you could win right. one. If, well, if I could win one, I would have told you that I would have wanted the Open Championship, the Claret well, you, had, because, you had that one too. Well, see, so in my opinion, not to be everybody's opinion is different, but I feel yeah. like I won the best too. And I'm an American, you know, and most people say, well, wouldn't you want to win the U.S. Open? I'm like, listen, I have a U.S. amateur, so I've won a USGA event. I said, mm. the thing is, is the great thing about the Masters is, as you pointed out, it's always at the same place. It's at, it's at a golf heaven. People, it's always at the same time of the year. I'm a member there. I played every year until 2018 when I decided to walk away at 61. I didn't play this year at, at 62 years of age. I'm done playing there, but I'll, I'll be there every single year. And that's what I think being a Masters champion is all about. Going to the dinner Tuesday night, sitting with the other Masters champions in the room. It's a little bit disheartening this this year only because you know, Tiger pulled it off, which was an amazing story. You knew he could probably do it. I felt deep down inside. I never count the guy out. As soon as everybody else does, that's usually when he does something well. And I won't be able to sit. I always sit next to him at dinner. <laughs> there you go. Well, it's a good place to be at the head of the table. You've been there. Uh, and, and uh, you, you know, you, you backed it up with the, with the open, open championship, which was, uh, you know, in, in, incredible. Did the, did the, uh, confidence from augusta carry you through to to the open championship when you, you you know you get in the in the playoff there with with brian watts well i think it helped i think it, it it definitely helped but i was just as nervous i didn't think it'd give me i think the fact that i won there in 89 with you on the bag and the lawrence batley my great caddying there you're a great caddying you know i mean we 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 didn't have tv but we had radio and and you know the guy on the radio was pretty much yeah. going nuts too and you hold two seven irons but anyways <laughs> and then in 91, I think people might forget. I mean, in 91, we played the Open Championship there at Royal Burkdale. And I was tied for the lead after 54 holes, playing with Ian Baker Finch in, on the final round on Sunday. And he played one of the all-time greatest front nines and in, in, in Open history uh, memories. He went on to win the Open Championship. And I think I finished fourth or third or something like that. 
And so to come back seven years later as the Masters champion and play at Royal Birkdale in 1998 and to go on and win the Open Championship uh, and hoist the Claret Jug in the four-hole playoff over Brian Watts, I think we, we posted a, a, an even par 72-hole score of 280, um, which the weather was terrible. It was always tough. It's always tough in the Open Championship. Yeah. But you always knew my game, and I always felt like I was a better player in the wind because I tended to hit the ball a little bit lower. I could keep it on the ground a little bit better. And the tougher conditions, I like that. And that's what yeah, you know, yeah. creativity. All right, that, 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 that reminds me of, 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 of a story when you showed up into uh, Mr. Hogan, uh, Ben Hogan's office, and you uh, <laughs> had your, your clubs in there. Oh, yeah. And he looked, and he looked under uh, one of the head covers. And what did yeah. he say? Well, he'd always want me to bring my clubs in because I represented him for five or six years. And so during Colonial, I'd come and visit him in his office. I'd bring my Hogan staff bag in there. I had my clubs in there this one year, as you were talking about. And he got out of his chair and he came over. And I was like, uh-oh, this isn't good. And so he pulls the head <laughs> cover off of my – and I had, a, I had a Cobra baffler in my golf bag. <laughs> you know, uh, 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 Mr. Crow, who owned Cobra. Yep, Tom Crow. Tom Crow. I had this baffler, which what it was, and, and Hogan saw it. He's like, he looked at me, he goes, Mark. I said, sir. He goes, what the hell is this thing? And I said, sir, that's a baffler. He goes, I can see that. What the F is a baffler? And I said, well, I said, <laughs> it's like a five-wood head with four-wood loft with these rails on the bottom to help you get the ball up in the air. And like if you get a bad lie or you're in the rough, you know, I'm trying to explain it to him. And he's looking at it, not saying a word. Finally, he looks and he puts the head cover back on it and he shoves it back in my bag. He goes, son, let me give you a little piece of advice. He goes, when you're coming down the stretch and you're nervous and you're playing in a tournament and you're trying to win, he goes, you don't need to be sending that ball up there in the air. You, you listen to me, son. And I said, yes, sir. He goes, you do yourself a favor. You get that piece of crap out of your bag and you put a one iron back in your bag and you keep that ball on the ground you'll be able to win a tournament because that club will not help you win a tournament. You understand what I'm saying? I said, yes, sir. I absolutely do. That club will be out of the bag after we leave the office. Oh my God. That's when the one iron came in. Oh, oh yeah. man. That's some great stuff. Oh man. Fantastic. All right. We're going to take a We're going to take a little, uh, a trip through your trophy case there at Park City, Utah, and uh, that'll be be interesting because I, I I see it in the background. You and I are doing FaceTime here when we're uh, doing our, our podcast, and uh, I see all the trophies back there. And I know you built a new uh, trophy case, and uh, you got one of those Player of the Years there with Jack Nicklaus, the arm raised up. That was '98, uh, and uh, certainly I remember that well. That was a that was a, a big one. I want to ask you ask you about that and more. Uh, when we come back uh, with Mark O'Meara on the Hank Any Podcast, we'll take a little break and hear from our sponsors. We'll be right back. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. 
We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's reality podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring bit. out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the juicy. podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm gonna talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic, and then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're at your house in Park City, uh, Utah, and I've been there, and it's a it's beautiful home. I mean, my goodness, what a what what uh, I mean, geez, but you got you got a view, you got a you got a celebrity green in the backyard. I mean, you got everything. I mean, that thing is unbelievable. Uh, but you also got a new trophy case. I do, I do. It's really nice. My my bride last fall when we decided to uh, move out of Houston. And when we knew that we were coming to Park City full time, we had to basically get our trophies that we had had and move them all here. And so we had this display built. And now all the trophies like I've been lucky to win over these years are all displayed here up here in Park City at our home that you've been to. And it's kind of neat because there's so much to reminisce about. Um, from the very first win, which is the Milwaukee Open, which is right up there on the top. Well, you start before that with the U.S. Amateur. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. Let's go over. Let's go over here. Let's let's, let's start at the beginning here. Okay, there's the U.S. Amateur Trophy. Okay. That was in 1979. So that's that that Amateur Trophy right there. And then they they give you a medal. As you can see, the USGA gives you a medal. So that's kind of cool. And then... um, so I'm getting a little FaceTime uh, trophy uh, cabinet uh, yeah. tour. I love it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so U.S. Amateur first. Okay. Then. Then then we we turn pro, and 
struggled on the tour for a while. I did okay. I was rookie of the year my first year. And then um you get anything for that? Did I give you a little uh, little something? Uh, you know, I must have, but I don't I don't see it up there anywhere. So I, right. I really can't I, I can't go there. And then I struggled and then as everybody knows, the story goes, I was on the range there at Pinehurst and some guy was watching me hit ball and he said to me, uh, how you doing? I said, not very good. And I said to him, <laughs> I said, what do you think? And he goes, can I ask somebody else? I'm like, bring the whole staff out. I need all the help I can get. Oh my God. There and that's go. when the famous and one and only Hank Haney came on the range and introduced himself and I introduced myself. The rest is history. There you go. We went to work. We changed. We spent many hours at Pinehurst in the snow, me throwing yep. my clubs out there, an umbrella, and then many, many hours on the range at Sweetwater down in Sugarland, Texas, and wherever I needed to go to, to come in and see you and work on yep. my game, that's what I did. And look at how it paid off, okay? So up on top here, I'm going to show you that. That's the, uh, that's the Greater Milwaukee Open Champion. What is it, the, the trophy or the glass? Okay, the glass. Oh, uh. No, no, the, the one, the silver okay. one. Okay, oh, back. okay, yeah, trophy. That was an '84. The 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 trophy to the right of it. That's the Dubai Desert Classic. Okay. Okay, and then the bowl is a Ryder Cup bowl from one of the Ryder Cup teams. And it's funny. So you go from 1984, the Milwaukee Open Championship, where I beat Tom Watson at Tuckaway, to yeah. here. I won in Tucson at the Kolagard Classic. So yeah, this last uh, this to, last year, this year, yeah, this year, 2019. Okay. And then we have a couple of ESPYS. See, so we got like a we got a we got a performance of the year in 1998 men's golf. That's an ESPY there. And then outstanding performance under pressure in 1998. That that's a ESPY. Then oh, wow. Hank. You'll remember this trophy. You caddied for me when we won <laughs> this one right here. The Lawrence Batley. That would be the Lawrence Batley. Now, look at that. The Lawrence Batley Invitational. Yeah, European Tour event. Uh, that was, uh, well, we won, you know. I mean, we, I, I don't I don't know what I did. I carried. I did, it was raining. It was tough. It was uh, like uh, I was an encourager. I, I, um, I, I rarely got the right yardage, uh, sometimes the wrong hole. Uh, on the pin placement sheet, but um, you did hole uh, full, two uh, full, there were seven irons, weren't they? Seven irons on the the, uh, last nine holes of the tournament. Beat this guy, Carl Mason, who was a... Really nice guy, of course, <laughs> but and 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 a journeyman player. It, it, it was going to be like his first win on the European tour, and you dunked two full seven irons on the last nine holes to win yeah. that tournament. And I uh, jumped out of my uh, caddy suit and uh, mugged you on both of those two occasions. And you were like, "Hank, settle down a little calm bit. Down, calm down, calm down. It was eleven. Yeah. It was on hole eleven and uh, number sixteen. Because I remember on eleven, I hit the seven iron. And it looked good, like it was going in, and it looked like it one hopped over the green, and that's when you said, no, no, that one hopped into the hole, Mark. And I'm like, okay, great. So we made eagle there on number 11 at Burkdale, Royal Burkdale, and then 16, like you said, good drive and seven iron, just trying to hit it in the middle of the green because I had about a, a two-shot lead or three-shot lead, and I pulled it and it was going right at the flag, and it went in the hole. Then, you know, look, golf is such a global game, as we all know. And for me, you know, I take tremendous pride as a young American player when I got on the tour after I'd won the Milwaukee Open 84. Um, in 85, I, I won the Crosby um, at Pebble Beach. 
Yeah, you speak. You speak called the Bing Crosby, the AT and T now. Yeah, last, won I that, won the last Bing Crosby National Pro Am, so that was eighty five. Then for eighty six, you won that. Hard. You won that five times. Yeah, right? let's just take a little look at that. Okay, so right. that's that's this this display right here. So those are the five. I'll open it up for you. So the little ones. Um, I won the Pro Am one year in eighty four. That's the eighty four Pro Am division winner at the at Pebble Beach at the Crosby. Then I came back in 85 and won the individual title in the Crosby. And then the bigger ones in the back are the four AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. So that kind of display right through here is, uh, is all happened at Pebble Beach. And I remember this year when Phil Mickelson won his fifth time, I texted him right away and congratulated him. But I also said, Phil, look, that's great. You won five. You know what? You tied the old man. You don't need to win anymore. Just, just, just. <laughs> you're playing good next year. Just go ahead and peel one into the ocean on the 18th hole. You can finish second all you want, but you've got five wins at Pebble. You've tied me at Pebble, and that's it. You don't need to win six. <laughs> what did he say? What was his response? None. He was like, "Don't worry about it, Demo. Don't worry. Don't worry." <laughs> so, <laughs> move on down here. Later, well, let's go. Let's, let's stay at Pebble for a second. You won that one year with your dad oh, uh, yeah. oh, playing. Yeah. That was that was a special one, huh? So greatest moments ever. Let's see what you were. It would have been an. Uh, I won uh, in '87. I won in '89, the AT and T, and then in 1990, I invited my father to come and play with me. The two times my dad and I played together at Pebble Beach. Ironically, we made the cut both times, so that was really cool. And then the second time when I played with my father, I was leading the tournament after three rounds, and I played with my dad in the last group there at pebble beach can you imagine playing with your father at pebble beach and in a pga <laughs> tour event and no that's, that's a little winning. unique yeah and winning and winning and uh yeah. so this 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 one here this is the 1991 right here and um that's the one that i played with with my father and, and, and won the tournament and i just remember my dad calling me afterwards i think i told you the story he uh, he says, "Hey, Mom, you know, I got the uh, golf world in the mail. I saw you're on the cover. You know, Prince of Pebble, blah 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 blah. I saw you, you know, won the tournament. You made 180 grand." He goes, "But I looked over in the other box in the corner and I saw a team Omera Omera won 8,800 dollars." And I said, "Yeah." And he goes, "Well, when are you going to send me my 4,400? You can't take prize money. You're an amateur." He goes, "No, no, I'm I'm turning pro. <laughs> send me the 4,400." Oh man! And I was like. No, no, Dad. He goes. I I paid for everything. I paid for the entry for you, you know, and brought you and Mom out and all this stuff. And you know, I, I really I'm a loser on this deal. He goes. Listen, I didn't ask you to do any of that stuff. That was your call. You just sent me the forty four hundred. So I did. I wrote my dad a cool note and a letter, and I sent my dad forty four hundred. So he's no longer with us. But you know what? He was the greatest, as you knew my dad. Oh my God, he was he was incredible, and uh, there's so much of uh, Mark O'Meara uh, in, oh. in his father. That's for sure. Oh, that's sure. for sure. Oh, yeah. for sure. So that's all Pebble Beach, and so later uh, that, that same year in '85, which was quite a few years ago, um, I, I decided to go play the Hawaiian Open in '85 after I won the Crosby, and yeah. and I. And I and I won the Hawaiian Open in 1985. And there's the back to yeah, those that was back to back wins right there. I remember that. Yeah, one of my prizes is obviously that, which was was really awesome. But in '97, and get this, because it's fun with my stepson. We'd be watching tournaments, Aiden now, and he's like, you know, we'd be watching the Hawaiian Open and 
and Justin Thomas shoot 59 or this or that three years ago. And I said, you know what, Aiden? He goes, what? He said, I've won that tournament. He goes, you have? And I said, yeah, 1985. He goes, wow, you're really old. I'm like, oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one year, get this, okay? One year in 97, after I won at Pebble, I came down to San Diego. And I won the 1997 Buick Invitational at Torrey Pines. Now, this is going to absolutely blow your podcast listeners' minds. This is the Buick Open Trophy. Check this little thing out right here. Come on. <laughs> looks like a looks like a junior golf something. It is so embarrassing. I mean, come on. That is just I – mean, look at that thing. It's about four inches tall. <laughs> I don't believe that Jason Day or – Justin Rose or Tiger Woods, when they won the Buick or the Torrey Pines. Oh, my God. That thing's about six inches tall. It's like a little silver cup. It looks like it's, uh, you know, you, you got it literally in a junior golf tournament. I mean, that's uh, – but it's, it's very classy. I will say that. Yeah, it's a little bent, too. So, But anyway, so it sits back there in the corner. Okay. Yeah, that's 97. And then uh, one year I won the uh, Mercedes Tournament of Champions, which is now played at Kapalua, which is the uh, – tournament of the year on the PJ Tour. So if you win a tournament on the PJ Tour, you get in the tournament champions. Would you? We won that at La Costa, or what? I did at La Costa. Yeah. I beat uh, I beat Nick Faldo. I'm trying. I'm I'm reminiscing here with all these wins here. Yeah. This is good. And, and right. obviously, so. you're a huge part of them. And then we move over here. You know, we have Greensboro. With you know, they that's basically was called the Greater Greensboro Chrysler Classic back then. Which kind of a, a you know a big de- big deal? You were born in Goldsboro, so you know you got a little uh, North Carolina connection there. Yeah, and then check out the Texas Open. See, so yeah. f- former Texas Open guy. I mean, San Antonio Oak Hill, great yeah. course. Jeez, you won on a lot of great courses, Mark. I mean, you you won you won on you know on, on a lot of great courses. Well, I've been blessed. You know, I mean, look, we you know when you look back, sometimes you don't take enough time to basically look back and appreciate kind of what things happen in your life because you're always on the move and what you got to do to get better. And the next thing you got to do and, you know, winning is very fleeting. It's not often that you win any tournament. Um, and for me to, to have, you know, become a, a much more of a world-class player, you know, certainly Hank, because of all your tutelage and the time that you spend hours and hours and, you know, we, we know because you've helped so many other students and, and our time that we've, on the range, you know, we, if I look back, I always tell everybody, if I could do it different, I would have probably said I would have hit less balls and been a little bit more focused and a little bit more um, determined on my practice sessions instead of thinking always that, you know, more is better. Yeah, that's my, that's my style too. More is better too. So it's just, uh, we're a d- dangerous combo in that respect. Yeah. So, you know, I, I I love it. Luckily, because I've never really had a whole lot of injuries, and I don't really swing at it that hard. So, you know, I've been able to still compete at, at 62. So it, it's really fun. You know, I mean, and I owe so much to you for this point that you so many hours on the range. And that's why, you know, a lot of this stuff on this display that goes all the way down the wall there happened. This is another great trophy. So these these okay. crystals are are the one, the par three contest one year at Pebble beach. That's this big trophy here. And then this year, this year I made a no, par three, at, the par, par three, three at Augusta Brooks, at Augusta Kepka and right? Dustin Johnson on the fifth oh, hole. Those are Augusta. So to give yeah. you one of these okay, yeah. for, for making a hole in one. Yeah. Yeah. Par three at Augusta. And then, yeah. And then no, that's par cool. three. This is another hole in one that I made on the second hole when my wife Meredith was caddying for me 
and one with Curtis up there. That's a shark shootout, uh, the original one, the very first one, the Greg Norman event. Uh, that yeah. was with Curtis Strange out in California. Love Curtis, our good friend Curtis. That's cool, cool trophy. Oh, yeah, Curtis Strange, the best. So these are um, – this green one is a, a Tokai Classic, which was played in Nagoya, Japan. The silver tray is the Fuji Sankai Classic, which was played uh, just south of Tokyo. This is uh, one of the Skins Game trophies right here, the oak tree there. And then one Kapalua one year. This is the Kapalua trophy. Uh, and then we go down here. You have – I take a lot of pride in this trophy right here. This is the Canadian, yeah, Canadian Open trophy right there. That's it. National Championship of Canada. Yeah, that you know that, that you know it's still a great tournament, but that used to be that that was you know a, well before they had World Golf uh, Championships and uh, Tournament Players Championships and all that stuff. Uh, the Canadian Open was a was a huge huge win. Well, you know it's the one tournament. Certainly, I won at Glen Abbey, the course that Jack Nicklaus designed, but it's the one tournament that Jack Nicklaus never won and always wanted to win. I think he finished second. He told me five times in the Canadian Open. He never wow. won the Canadian Open. As great as Jack is and everything he's done in the game of golf. And I was actually paired with him the first two days, the year that uh, I was fortunate to win. So that was pretty cool. And then the, the trophy next to it, Hank, this is a neat trophy. This is the Cisco World Match Play. 1998. My good friend Tiger Woods um, won up on the 18th hole in a 36-hole match. and That was a good match. Oh, it was fantastic because he, yeah. he was kicking my butt, you know. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, this is, I thought this was between two friends. I mean, slow down. You know, you're supposed to entertain a little bit. And, of course, you knew him. We both knew him very well. We spent so many, so many days and so many hours around the kid. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was fun beating his ass. Sure. Yeah. It really was. <laughs> and so we'll move over here. We'll move over here. And so over here, um, down here at the bottom, this is, uh, the Walt Disney tournament. So this was played in Orlando. They don't play it anymore, but you can see you got goofy. You got Minnie there holding the flag. So yeah, that's yeah, it's a cool trophy. Yeah, cool. I remember I, that, that was a, that was another big tournament. You know, they, they a lot of these tournaments, you know, they, I mean, got great fields. I mean, the Canadian Open, the Disney got a great field. That, that was a, you know, everybody went there, took the week, took their family. That tournament doesn't isn't played anymore, but that was a big tournament too. Yeah, no, I remember I had to make a five footer on the last hole for par to beat a guy named David Peoples. You remember all these shots, huh? I do. Well, I do because on Sunday on the ninth hole, which is a long par four on the Magnolia course there, I had a five iron to the green. The pin was back left and I hit a good shot. I was trying to keep it right of the hole, but I pulled it probably a little bit and I hold it for five mm. from, for Eagle, which my son was out there years ago and took a picture of a sign that said, Oh yeah, the ninth hole Magnolia course this is where Mark Romero hold up a five iron for Eagle on the five. <laughs> That's cool. So it was kind of cool when Sean, my son sent that. But yeah. Uh, yeah, no, no, listen, it was fun, but I, I, it's never easy to win as we know. Um, yeah. and so moving along this, this trophy here is the Honda. You got Classic. a big trophy case here, bud. I mean, I guess that's what you get when you make it well, to the hall of fame. You got you get a big trophy case. You, you got to fill it with, with, uh, with something to get to the hall of fame. Honda classic, uh, down in Weston Hills in South Florida. That was in 1995. I hadn't won in a while. So that was nice. This is a Tough cool bar, of course. Yeah. This is the Australian Masters Trophy. So that was in, uh, let's see, whatever you know what year that was. 
nineteen like eighty-seven or eighty-six. You, know, you always felt like it was a big deal to be an international player to put play all over. What we'll talk about that a little bit? No, I did, I, Hank. I, I really believe that golf's a worldwide game. I mean, and we've seen that now really transpire over the last fifteen to twenty years. And when I got on the tour, um, an eighty-one was my first full year. My main focus was playing on the tour. You know, learning how to maybe stay on the tour, maybe get to become a better player, win something here or there. With your help, you know, that happened. I mean, finally, I, I won my first tournament in, in 84. But once I won, I thought, you know what, how of opportunities maybe to go to Japan, go to Australia, play in Europe. And, and I took full advantage of those, 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 those times and to see different parts of the world and be able to compete and play and luckily play, play fairly well. Uh, you know, back then, not a lot of foreign born players were playing the U.S. tour full time. But now we look at it and everybody wants to play the U.S. tour. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. 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 No doubt about it. All right. What, what else you got up there in that trophy case? So we'll move on to the really nice area. Yeah, people can't see this on the podcast, but I, I'm, I'm seeing it. And we're, okay. you're okay. doing a great uh, description here. Well, I so wish they could see it. So 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 here we go. That one right there. You know that one. That would be the Claret Jug. Yeah. Well, there you go. That's pretty nice. Okay, so yeah. I got my name on that trophy, you know, before Tiger Woods got his name on there. Although yeah. his name's on there three times, my name's only on there once. But yeah, nineteen ninety eight, Birkdale, same cor same course you won the Lawrence Batley on. Yep, and some of the medals that come along with that, which is kind of cool, and they gave you a belt and different things. And then above that is the Masters trophy. There you go, nineteen ninety eight. So that's yeah. that's really a cool trophy. Yep, the clubhouse at Augusta. Yep, and then I have a few Ryder Cup. Every time you played on a Ryder Cup team, they gave you a Ryder Cup trophy. So I got five of those because I played on five Ryder Cups. I played on two Presidents. Cups. So everybody gets a everybody gets a gets a trophy when you play. You, you get a, a replica Ryder Cup trophy when you play on the team. Yeah, you do, and it's oh it's, wow. It, it, what it is is, is so it has the names of all the players that played on the team, and it tells oh the that's year cool and uh, and where they played it. So that's kind of nice. I mean. It, has the captain's signature and the, you know, the 12 guys that were on your team. And so I think both, both sides get one. So that's kind of cool. Uh, and then this one. Oh, Jack Nicholas. No, there it is. That's there it up. is. Jack Nicholas. Yep. Player of the year in 98. So, you now, know, I, you got to tell the story about how, when you, uh, you went to Tiger's house and he had, he's, he's got a, he had a few of those lined up and, uh, you, you told him there was one was missing down the street or something or, you know, <laughs> I think there was a stretch there. Like you said, I mean, either tiger woods wanted, I mean, I said to somebody one time and, and I, I said, if there's, this is a trivia question, not to be one way or the other, but I know this is a podcast. I said, look, there was about a 10 or 11 year stretch there um, on the PGA tour to be fair, that, that only one Caucasian guy, one player of the year. Okay. And they're like, they're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, yeah. I said, Tiger Woods, you know, dominated, won player of the year all those years. And then Vijay Singh, there was two years that he won. And thrown in between all of those was an old 41-year-old, uh, you know, white, Caucasian, balding-headed, gray-headed guy named Mark O'Mara <laughs> that won player of the year. But it, no, there you go. But, but it was interesting because I know you, you wanted to talk about this. I mean, it was it was a tight race. You know, the players obviously vote for it. But that was the same year that David Duvall had played 
tremendous golf. I think he'd won four times, maybe five times on the PJ tour. And I think he won the money list. Um, and there, you know, it was obviously going to be a tap tight battle between whether I was going to win player of the year or David Duvall was going to win player of the year. Yeah. 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 You know, and I won two major championships and I guess they felt that that doesn't happen very often. So fortunately they, they gave it to me. Yeah. There you go. All right. Incredible. Uh, little tour of the trophy case there at the, uh, Mark O'Mara home in, uh, Park City, Utah. We'll take a little break, uh, check in with our sponsors We'll be right back with more with Mark O'Meara on the Hank and E Podcast. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality podcast this is where we discuss all things reality tv all things popular culture and a little bit of rapaport's reality the reality of bit. us we're a figuring out and if we had been recording these last four or five days oh it, it would have been would have been juicy would have taken a, a, a left turn Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, back with Mark O'Meara on the Hank Haney Podcast. And Mark, uh, you're sharing some great stories uh, with us. I mean, it's just, uh, this is uh, great, and I'm having a blast, a little uh, stroll down memory lane. Uh, some of my great memories of uh, being with you were my uh, caddying uh, 
you know, trips when, when you and I would, uh, get together, you'd have a, you know, you, something would happen. You'd need a caddy or you and I just, you know, wanted to hang out for, hang out for a week or something. And, um, you know, I, I mean, I was lucky enough to be on the bag when you won the Lawrence Batley Invitational, you know, you, uh, you, you showed us that trophy and, uh, that was, a man, I, how was my caddy in? Like I was uh, like, I, I'm never, here's 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 some of my memories there. Okay, the the, the first <laughs> the first thing that I did wrong, which I did a lot of things wrong. Caddying is a lot more difficult than people think, especially when you're caddying over in Europe and it's raining and you got the umbrella and you got the towel and you, you know you in you know you're you, you know you talk about players being nervous. The caddy's nervous too. I always always I say, listen, I tell people, I said every player is nervous. I said they're all choking and the caddy are choking worse okay and and that's just the you know way it is obviously ex- experience matters because you, you you know how to handle it but but everybody's everybody's nervous so i'm in the the uh, uh my first memory was in the we're playing the pro-am this is on wednesday and you get to the like i think it was like the uh, you'll know the hole but it was maybe like the third hole or fourth hole. it's part three and i tell you it's like 168 yards or something and, and, and you, I give you a club, you know, you know, what do you think? Like six iron or something. I don't know. Something like that. You flush it like right over the, right over the green. And of course I've like added the, or subtracted or something. I did. It was definitely the wrong yardage. And then you like, you're like immediately, like that was like immediately you're like, give me that yardage book. And that was it for me for the week on yardages. Now I still carried around the yardage book, like pretending like I was doing something, but you got all the yardages because of the, the, uh, uh, that was pretty much my one uh, mess up, and you're not you, you, you can't put the doubt in the player's mind. Uh, take take me through that. Uh, that the, what did I get wrong there? I think I got most of that right. You added instead of subtracting, and so you hit a six iron about 25 yards over the green or 20 yards over the green. Okay, and, and you, uh, but that was a really nice looking shot. I'm like, yeah, that would have been great if you would have had the right number. So you were one and done when it comes to yardages. Our second little. Uh, Squabble that we had the year that we won at Burkdale in 1989 was uh, on the on the first hole. Yeah. We made the turn, and number one was our tenth hole. And I hit my tee shot in the fairway, and I said, "Hank, I said you got the pin sheet." He goes, "I do." And I said, "I know we got like 212. It's into the wind off the left." I said, "Is the pin on the on the left side or the right side of the green?" And he goes, "Listen, it's ten on on the left." And I'm like, "Are you sure of that?" And he goes, "Yeah, I'm absolutely positive. It's ten on." It's 18 on, 10 from the left. I'm like, okay. So I take a three iron. I hit it up there on the green somewhere. We're walking up there, and I'm looking, and I'm thinking, the pin is not on the left-hand side of the green. It's all on the right-hand side of the green. So I look at you, and I say to you, I said, Hank, did you not say that the pin was 18 on and 10 from the left? He goes, yeah. And I said, well, that, that can't be right. The pin's over on the right side of the green. And he goes, ah. Oh. And then he realized, oh, I'm looking at the pin sheet. I We're forgot to turn around. We, we started on the back nine. 10. Yeah. That's an easy mistake I could make as a caddy. And then, but your great response was this. You looked at me and said like, MO, let's get something straight. You're 212, 14 yards out into the wind, left to right with a three iron. Who gives a crap where the pin is on the green? You're just trying to green it. We're just trying to put the ball on the green. We're not trying to be like, you're not that good. You're not that precise to worry whether it's right or left from three. 215 yards we're just trying to put pretty, it on the pretty good surface. answer wasn't i it? said you know what yeah that's true because that's pretty much that's what i was trying to do the other caddying experience i mean i can't i think i 
No, no, I got, I got, let me, let me just fill you in on okay. the caddy experience. Yeah, yeah. All right. First of all, one of the biggest things for you was weight. Yeah, that that weight is true. That is issue, true. Okay? That is true. So when it comes to the towel, what, you know, a lot of those bags are heavy. Oh, come on. So anyways, I look at you like to wipe my ball off. You've got about a one inch square corner of the towel. That is a little wet. exaggeration. It was about six inches, dry. maybe. So but I said, no, no, no. Not, not too wet inches. either. You don't want it too wet. That adds a lot of weight if you get it too wet. Well, that's what you said. I said, why is just this very, very corner tip of the towel wet? And you go, well, because if you wet too much of the towel, that creates more weight. Weight's that's an issue. That's true. All right. True. Very now, true. these head covers, these big these big beanie head covers you've got, if it's raining, yep. those things. Yeah, you had the Jack Nicholas head covers. You had the Jack Nicholas head covers with the big balls on there. Weight is a problem. You've got to keep the weight down. We lost your connection. Anyways, uh, uh, so weight, 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 weight was always an issue. Um, <laughs> tees, amount of tees, amount of golf balls, amount of pencils tees, was an issue. Yeah. What was that all about? Same I mean, thing. Weight, on. weight. Tees? You know, I need. What do we need? What do we need? A hundred tees in there for? We're only playing eighteen holes. Stop it! Yeah. Stop it. You know what was really cool? Do you remember the time that you caddied for me in the U.S. Open at Pinehurst? I do remember that. And do you remember on around the 14th? So I'm going to miss the cut. I'm not playing that well. And I'm kind of in a not a very good mood. And I think it was on about the 14th hole. All one right? thing, one I thing, I will 14th, say this 13th. about your moods, Mo. I will say this. Uh, you always get over it. And you always did get over it. And uh, no matter how discouraged you, you were, it would just give you a little cool down period and you'd come back practicing harder than ever. That was, uh, as a coach, that's all you want. I mean, uh, you know, you got, a, a guy, if a guy's not disappointed, he wouldn't, it, that wouldn't be right either. You know, you, you, it just shows a lot of times how much you want it. But you always came back practice harder than ever, for sure. Well, okay, now I remember. It was on the 13th yeah. hole. It's the little dog leg right up the hill. The green's elevated. And I hit it over in the left. And I'm just on the edge of the fairway. And it's like between an eight and a nine iron or something like that. I'm in the like the rough, but I kind of have a flyer lie. And I'm over the ball. And you're standing there next to me. And, and it's probably on ESPN. So the guy's got the, you know, the microphone dish out there. I remember there. this and, now. I remember and, this now. <laughs> I take, I, I decide, you go, just hit the eight iron. So I'm like, okay. So I hit this eight iron, and in the top of my backswing, as I'm coming down, uh, right at impact, I uh, released this loudest, gaseous fart that only you and I could hear. And I, because I knew I'd hit a flyer, and I was not happy about it. And so you so farted I because you weren't happy with the flyer? I farted. Yeah. It was pretty loud. And you looked at me, he goes, You go, are you kidding me? <laughs> Forget about the flyer. Do you realize that people are watching and listening on TV? They just heard that, Mo. They just heard that. That is just not right. You're a professional golfer. I'm like, listen, hey, I couldn't hold it. It just I was just trying to time it right at impact. That's probably why I hit the flyer. Oh, my God. I remember that. I do remember that. How about when, when uh, I caddied at the uh, Tour Championship the one year they played at uh, Pebble Beach? And you were paired the last oh, yeah. round with uh, Greg Norman, and Greg comes up on the practice because you guys are in, you guys are in last place. You're 29th and 30th place, and the difference between you know you've already had a good year. You make it to the Tour Championship. The difference between last place and next to last place is you know it's not much. I mean it's you know something, but not much. And uh, Greg comes up on the practice. And he says, "Do you want to play fast?" 
Of course, I had just had like knee surgery, like, you know, four months ago and I'm caddying and, uh, Greg, uh, or Norman's caddy, Steve Williams, you know, of course, Steve, Steve's like, a, you know, you know, he's, he like runs, you know, five miles a day after he caddies. Um, and, and, uh, Greg says, you want to play fast and we, we get over on the first tee and, and, uh, we played like really fast. It was, uh, tell that story. Well, well, he, he wanted to get on his plane cause he had to go to Australia later that afternoon. And so he goes, you know, well, you guys, I said, sure, we'll play as fast as you want to play. And so we teed off and we, we, you and I, you were catting for me. Steve Williams was on Greg Norman's bag and the wind was blowing about 30 or 40 miles an hour. Storm had coming in at Pebble beach and it was brutal. And by the time, we played, we were on the sixth hole, the par five, and we played the first five holes in about, I don't know, 35 minutes, maybe something like that. 30 minutes, not even that. And the people, we were running between shots and the people were running. Run, they literally were running. No, no, they were on, on six, the par five. They're running along the hillside and they're firing off times and you're jogging. Steve's jogging. R Greg and myself are somewhat jogging. And we come around and the wind's blowing so hard. We we get to the eighth hole and I hit my tee shot. You'd already been up there on top of the hill and you just lay the three wood there. Like you'd already started down the, because I couldn't get yeah. to the green and then same on nine, same on 10. And I remember the officials came out, Len Tate came out and said, Hey, what are you guys doing? And they said, well, what do you mean? And he goes, well, you guys are like jogging. You're playing too fast. And we said, well, wait a minute, let me get this straight. Now you're not supposed to play fast. Well, you know, it looks, I mean, well, no, the people, I mean, Greg's trying to catch a flight. We played, <laughs> we played in an hour and 42 minutes at Pebble beach, a twosome. And we both shot 78 or 79, but the wind was literally blowing 40 miles an hour. The course was playing so hard, but yeah, I think yeah, that yeah. was, that was probably one of the fastest. And you know, they got mad at us. Uh, they, they claimed that they were going to find us. They did not. Um, I don't know how you can get fined for playing too fast. I mean, we look at the game today, and are you kidding me? It's disgusting where the game of golf is today. I'm just well, telling well, you, as a player and as a why fan, don't they do something about it? Why uh, don't they, they do something? They, no disrespect, okay? And, and and you know, I can say this on a podcast. Nobody's got any balls. I mean, you gotta you gotta step up to the plate. I mean, you can't have all these, you know. Oh, it's unfair. It's you know, we gotta we gotta warn players. Warn players. Warn them about what? Did your parents give you a lot of warnings when you got in trouble? You either got in trouble or you didn't get in trouble. I mean, if you're playing, my, my take is this. When you tee off and you're a twosome or a threesome and you come onto the yeah. tee on the next hole as a par four and you look up and you don't see the group in front of you and the pin's in the green, you don't need an official to come over and tell you, hey, you're out of position. Really? That's your responsibility to realize that. And it's hmm. unfortunate that they just have not been firm enough and aggressive enough with what they need to do to speed up the game. It's, it's not good. I mean, but, but in fairness, Hank, I mean, you watch college golf, you know, you got the coaches out there, got yeah. everybody telling them what to do. My coach never followed me around on the golf course. He never told me what to do, you know? Yeah. You yeah. Figure that out yourself. Well, the AJJ though, the American junior golf association, they, they play it at a certain pace and they, they time everybody. They give them penalties. They, you know, give them their, you know, red card or whatever. 
and uh, they they do a good job keeping keeping people on pace. The European tour this year sounds like they're going to do something to try and uh, speed things up. The players have, have really voiced their opinion over there, and they're going to do something. Of course, they tried the shot clock a couple years ago, and that was well received. I don't know why they didn't didn't do it more. Um, but it's just like you said. I mean, they, they just don't seem like they really want to do something on the PGA Tour. I don't, I don't understand. I really don't understand why it is. I mean, it, it's. I think it's a big problem in the game. It's the number one point of contention that people like to talk about. I mean, whenever we talk about slow play, you know, as as uh, you know, commentators or, or radio hosts or podcast hosts or whatever. I mean, everybody just like you know lights it up. I mean, they all want to talk about it because it drives them crazy. But yet, the PGA Tour, the USJ, I mean, they don't really want to do anything about it. I mean, the USJ runs these ads, and it's you know like play faster, and then you know the next thing you know, and play faster, and then they play in five and a half hours. I'm like, uh, you know, it, it, it's like a little contradictory there, isn't it? I'm like, do as I say, not as I do. You know, and I and I and I give I give the players a little bit of credit, a little bit of leeway. The game is harder now because the courses are set up more difficult. But you know what? That doesn't that's not a big enough excuse to make the game slow like it is. You're right. I yeah. Mean, the only way they're going to change it is to just put a hard line on it, and and you know what? You put a clock out there, time the groups, and you know people are going to get penalized. And you know what? It's like when you live in an area and you know there's a speed trap there, and if you yeah. speed, they're pulling your ass over. So. You know, that's what they have to do. You just, in the slow players, you know, like a lot of times when I play with a lot of the players and, and everybody knows who the slow players are. And on our tour, on the PGA Tour champions, look, there's no ranking points. There's no drug tests, whatever. But they know who the slow players are. So let's say I'm playing with one of those guys and we're behind. They don't, when they come up to our group, they don't even come and say anything to me. They just go to the, the, the players that they know. They tell them, hey, and then the looks at me like, are we playing slow? I'm like, I don't know. He didn't say anything to me. So I'm not playing slow. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, and everybody wants the players to have to patrol one another, which is always difficult. You know, I mean, we don't need to be getting in fights out there, but they just, the problem is, is, is you, they, they, they put these softball to play like you said, yeah. they're softball rules. And then they, they don't, they don't, they, they, these players know how to play around the rule. Right. They mm. know how to work the rules. So like, how, like, how do they work the rules? Well, what happens is they, they know once they get put on the clock and now they're time, then they'll go ahead and be able to play underneath the time, you know, slot yeah. that they're allowed. And then, right. you know, they'll get back on the clock, they'll get back in pace and then they'll go right back to what they're doing. Wait for the fish to come back and do it again. I mean, you know, you, you shouldn't have to be, we're, we're adults, right? You don't need to be, you know, you just don't need to, it just needs to be better. It's, I don't, like you said, this should not be a hard issue to fix. This should be simple. Yeah. Simple. To yeah. Fix. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about it. All right. Marcus has been absolutely fantastic having you on uh, the Hank Andy podcast. Uh, before we, before we leave, I want to, I want to ask you about the, um, this player of the year thing this, this, this year, because this is something that we've been talking about a lot. Uh, and I've been you know, talking to friends a lot. It's a big thing in the, in the golf news. Uh, you won the player of the year in 1998. You won two times that year. You won um, the obviously the Masters. You won the the Open Championship, and you won the player. There. David Duval won four times uh, that year, but you got the the award for for player of the year. And uh, you know, I mean, everybody knows that you know major championships have a lot more emphasis. I mean, that's why Jack Nicklaus is considered the greatest golfer ever. He's won 18 majors. Um, what, what were what were your thoughts on on that on that that Rory, you know, I mean, Rory had a great year. I'm not taking anything, and I love Rory. And Rory, 
I think he had, was, was fantastic this year. His putting was so much improved. His his attitude. I mean, I'm not you know I'm not an anti Rory McIlroy, but but Brooks Kepka finished top four. Uh, in all the majors, he won the, the the PGA, which not just won, but it was a, a back-to-back from the year before. Finished second at Augusta to Tiger, second at the U.S. Open to Gary Woodland, and then fourth at the Open Championship. And somehow he doesn't get PGA Tour Player of the Year. What I mean, what what, what did you think about that? You know, I, I mean, look, I, I love Brooks. I think Brooks is like an amazing talent. He certainly steps up to the plate in major championships. Uh, we've witnessed that the last three years. Uh, what he's done, and certainly this year, this past year, he's had a tremendous year. Uh, but if it was me, I, I probably would have voted for Rory. And the reason why, I, seriously, yeah, well, I'm going to tell you why, Hank. Because to me, like the guy won the Players Championship, he won the Canadian Open, he won the Tour Championship, and, and I understand he didn't win a major. But I was looking at the stats too, from the standpoint, you know what, uh, Rory McIlroy, and I don't know how many tournaments he's played in, but in half the tournaments that Rory McIlroy has played on the PGA Tour, close to half, he's finished in the top 10 in half of those tournaments. That's pretty impressive. Right. I mean, you know, I, I don't... Okay, well, Kepka, Kepka won three times. Uh, the, Canadian, the Canadian Open, nobody was at. Uh, but wait a minute. You're talking to a former Canadian Open champ. <laughs> well, I'm just talking about this year, though. This year, nobody was there. Players' championship. Um, they like to count that. How, well, how much weight do you put on that? Well, I mean, you... I, mean I, I put I, I I know that everybody puts a lot on it. I would say, uh, you know, look, I put the four majors, like you said, and then okay. and that's got to be the next one in line. You know, that will it ever five. be a fifth major? No, no, I, no they can't. Okay. They can't. No way. No yeah, way. No way. Okay. No. So so it, so you, 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 well. Oh. Yeah, I, I can't believe you 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 came with this. Um, okay, so I don't even I don't I, I got to figure out where to go next on this. Seriously, okay, okay. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this because this is a question that we always we always hear. How many is there a number? Okay, I don't even know if there's a number, but how many PGA Tour events would a player trade for a major championship? Uh, I would say. You mean, is there a number? I mean, well, I don't know, but you know, I, I thought you were asking me. I would say six. Six. You would say six. I would. Just okay. off the top of my head. Okay. Then how can you vote for Rory? I don't know. Cause I, I... <laughs> <laughs> you just you just said you just said they both won three tournaments. Brooks won a major. You just said you trade six uh, PGA Tour events for one. Well, six. I'm just saying that deep down inside, the thing is, is Rory's won a PGA Championship. Two of them, maybe. I don't know. I understand, but but he didn't this year. What is that a popularity contest vote or a little, what? A what? Bit, I mean, you like Rory McIlroy. You like? I mean, no, 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 yeah, I, I know you don't have anything about against Brooks either, but I no, mean, no, I I would say that there's no question it's a little bit of a popularity contest. What's the difference between that and then when the Hall of Fame vote was out back in the day that Fred Couples and Colin Montgomery would have gone into the World Golf Hall of Fame before me. So, yeah, there's some, you know, issues with, you know, popularity. And I and I think that because the players, I, I, look, I don't play in the PGA Tour anymore, but I'm just trying to say, and it's, it's not to try to say whether like Brooks or Rory more than one another, but what I would say is because of the fact that Brooks, you know, the way Rory won the tour championship at the end mm. um, and, and the, 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 so much hype is put on that, the FedEx Cup, like 
you know. Well, it's, yeah, but that, it, that's the tour doing. I mean, there's 30 players in that tournament. I know. I mean, I know no. it's a big, big prestigious win, a lot of money, but there's 30 players in that tournament. Well, that's the difference. See, like for me at this stage of my life, I don't look at the stats very much. I don't really even follow it that much. But I know that I've played with Brooks Kepka. And, and obviously I've played with Rory. I was one of the, I, and look, you know, you knew the story. I played with Rory in Dubai when he was 19 years old. He hadn't even won a tournament and yeah. he won that week in Europe. That was his first win on the PGA or on the European tour. And, you know, we saw what happened and I, I, I could see it coming, but with Brooks, you know, I, I would say that like he was super gracious when I played with him, you know, he's extremely talented and yeah, I mean, it, I can, I can see the argument. I really can. And I don't know. I just, all right, let me let me ask you this: When when the PGA Tour does a vote, of course they don't announce the you know the 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 yeah uh, who knows results. Right, I mean right, that's right, you know right. that's a little. Why is that? Why I, uh, I understand kind of why they don't announce fines or you know they don't want to embarrass anybody. They don't want you know this or that. But 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 um, why would they not announce the the the, the, the vote on the votes? player of the year? Yeah, I don't yeah. know. That's a good question. That's a really good I mean, question. They, they, that kind of doesn't, doesn't make sense. But okay, so when they when they had you vote, and of course this is back in the day, but, but when they had you vote, yeah, did they did they just say who do you vote for? Or do they give you like a list of their resume and accomplishments for that year? Is there no, something they do. to look they at? Do. You know, they do. Okay. They 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 send out like, hey, these are the five guys that are considered, and this is what they accomplished this year. Okay, so it it, it is it is a, yeah. No, oh, yeah. All right, so it's, all right, well. I mean, I think there is some popularity aspect of it i don't know like i don't i'm not around that much out there so it's hard for me to judge you know how much the would like rory over brooks i I don't think there's that much of a difference to be honest with you um you know they're both incredible talents and and, yeah and both they were both very deserving of of getting it so there's always going to be a you know should i vote in this way or vote in that way and you know okay you've got your your point is extremely correct um, and, and, and pointing out, you know, Brooks's accomplishments this year, but I, I don't know, maybe I just, a lot of times I don't look at all that stuff, but I, I can understand why, you know, Rory would have got it. Yeah. Well, bro, you know, Brooks likes to carry the chip on his shoulder. Lots been made of that. So, you know, it just gives him something else to, to stick up there on the shoulder, I'm sure. So that, that'll no, be, good point. be all right. Good point. All right. You're out in Park City, Utah. Yep. The snow will be flying soon. You'll be out there on the, uh, the sleds. What do you call them? Sleds? Yeah. Or, snowmobile. Or? I'm a sled. Snowmobile. I'm, a, I'm a sled head. You're a, <laughs> and, and, uh, what is it about the the the, the sledding that that well, I mean? Well, I'll tell you, 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 you I'll, like you like solitary. Uh, let's let's let me let me go at it this way. You're you're two big deals. I mean, you are a world class. I'm going to say this. You know, you're a world class fly fisherman. I know this because you just I, I know how you are, and and I've also seen your work with the tie and the flies, and and then you are a sledhead you're a f- snowmobile fanatic i mean you love it you're, yeah. you're into it yeah um what is it about you're you're the you're the most personable guy um you you are the best at uh, at, at doing you know corporate entertainment outings i mean you know you, you've you've made a, a career of that too um and and when you're away from golf and you're away from you know doing doing your deal you like you like 
things that are, you know, quiet, uh, you know, fly fishing, you're out there by yourself. You ask me to go fishing with you, you know, you leave me on the like river, I'm stuck up in a tree with my <laughs> thing, you know, you're, you're like, you're like, you know, a hundred yards away. I don't see all day. Uh, and then you got, uh, you know, the, the, the sledding, yeah. give me the, well, give me the logic. Here's, here's, here. So here's the lowdown. You know, most people probably think or listen or, or watch and, and they think, oh, you know, these golfers, they probably just, you know, they go shopping or whatever they do. You know, for me, you know, I, 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 I'm a kind of an ex dude when it comes to that. Like I ride well up in the back country. I have six snowmobiles, so I love to ride. I love to bring my friends. I never ride alone. There's always two or three of us together because it can be a little bit dangerous or you get stuck or you have an issue. You got to have a buddy there. Um, the fly fishing deal, uh, as you know, I'm a big two handed spay caster. I, throwing my fly rod for trout and fished for tarpon and bonefish and saltwater with a single handed rod. But my real passion is steelhead fishing. So this year, just so you know, I have spent 14 days standing in the river, mostly about eight hour days. And in the 14 days of fishing this engine and the sock up in Washington, the Deschutes River outside of Oregon and the Bulkley River, which I was just on about a week and a half ago up in British Columbia, up in Smithers, BC. I've fished 14 days and I've landed one steelhead in 14 days. Well, those are like, and that's not a reflection of your fishing ability because I I know that's, that you are like world class. Those are like, but that's that's my dedication. That's my desire. yeah. That's your dedication. But those steelheads are like impossible to catch, aren't well, they? Well, you know, there's been times where we've hooked. You know, one year back and there weren't any around, but I mean, we hooked 21 one morning. I mean, so it, that's that's a rarity. But if, usually, a good steelhead trip would be if you hook maybe three fish in a day, you know, be a, a good day. Um, yeah. But, you know, the trout fishing has been fun. Like I can go to different rivers around here in Park City. Well, I was winning one the other day, went trout fishing with my friend Marty Howard. We uh, we whacked them. It was uh, the, the hoppers were out, grasshoppers were out, and we were throwing dry fly. And we were just whacking these cutthroat and brown throat. And, you know, we kill a fish. We always pinch the barb down. We're real purists when it comes to that stuff. You know, we just, the experience is what it's all about. Casting and learning to cast the fly rods, like hitting a pitch shot, like chipping. You always ragged on me about the fact that I didn't spend enough time on my short game. And I tried yeah. to explain to you that casting my fly rod was like this for me with my yeah. short game. There Touch, you go. Where you want to land it, boom. All right. All right. Well, you'll be, you'll be, uh, I'm sure you'll, you'll you're not done fishing for the year no, and I'm no, sure no. you're going to be, uh, looking forward to the sledding and, uh, it's going to be a great year in, in Park City. Good year in golf. It's been uh great having you on. Always good to talk to you. I'm all, I lo love the, uh, tour through the, uh, trophy case. Uh, I got to see it, uh, FaceTime, but everybody else is listening to it. It's, it's equally, equally good that way. And it's, uh, great catching up with you, my friend. Great to be with you, Hank. And, and congrats with the new podcast. You guys are, you, you are sorely missed. You're, you're great at what you do and you're going to be great at this, uh, you know, avenue that you're going down in your career. All right, bud. Take Appreciate care, it. All right, bud. I'll talk to you. Bye -bye. Okay. Thanks for tuning into the Hank Haney Podcast. Listen, follow, rate, and share on iTunes, on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can make your thoughts and questions heard by emailing the show at hankhaneygoff at outlook.com. And you can also tweet me directly by sending your tweets to at Hank Haney on Twitter.
The Hank Haney Podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.